This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. Welcome to Meet and Three, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. I'm your host and HRN's executive director, Katie Mosman-Wadler. It's June, so we've been celebrating Pride Month. Pride honors the 1969 Stonewall Riots that launched the gay liberation movement here in New York City. Today, I'm particularly excited to carry on this theme by binge-watching season two of Queer Eye on Netflix. No exaggeration, this reboot of the 2003 Emmy Award-winning reality makeover show helped get us through February this year. Coming up, we've got a segment about Queer Eye's food expert, Anthony Porosky as well as stories about some of our favorite LGBTQ food heroes. But first, we turn to last week's Supreme Court decision about the baker from Colorado who refused to design a wedding cake for a same-sex couple back in 2012. To recap, Charlie Craig and David Mullins met, fell in love, and decided to get married. They went to the Masterpiece Cake Shop to order a custom cake for their wedding, but the owner, Jack Phillips, denied their request. He cited his Christian faith and religious objection to same-sex marriage. The ACLU filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, and in 2013, that organization ruled against Phillips. His lawyers failed to get the ruling overturned in Colorado, but two years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. On June 4th, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop, saying that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission did not act as a neutral ruling body in the matter. We were surprised by the decision, so we asked our correspondent Esther Trukinski to share some insight on Justice Kennedy's majority decision. Trukinski practiced law for 25 years before becoming a food systems specialist and adjunct professor at NYU. She told us that the Supreme Court decision is much narrower than civil rights advocates feared, and actually called it, quote, a resounding acknowledgement that gay people are protected persons under the law. The decision was procedural and highly specific to this case. To be sure, some may try to invoke this decision to deny services to gay people for their weddings, but last week's ruling actually ensures their actions would still be considered unlawful in a courtroom. Still, emotions are running high after the verdict. We've seen a deluge of negative Yelp reviews about Masterpiece Cake Shop, and the actor Andrew Garfield pled at the Tony Awards, let's just bake a cake for everyone who wants a cake to be baked. That's why we're delighted to introduce you to Jim Samaras, who co-owns Laura's Donuts and Bakery Shop with his wife in Englewood, Colorado. So Lori and I created a cake for David and Charlie. When we originally heard uh, through the media what happened to them, I actually reached out to them on Facebook. We felt that what happened to Charlie and David was an absolute injustice. Not only did we say we'd be honored, and that was the word we used, honored to do the cake, but we also gave it to them for free. We insisted that they not pay for it. Since we're a food radio station, we had to know, what kind of cake did Charlie and David serve their guests? What they wanted on the inside was a rainbow cake. It's the first rainbow cake we've done, but not the first gay cake that we've done. We've done multiple ones before then as well as after. It was basically a white cake with uh, buttercream. So um, while it had different colors, it uh, tasted the way all of our cakes typically do, which was good and fresh and not too sweet. 
So if you're in the Denver area, be sure and stop by Laura's Donut and Bakery Shop for a treat. Their fritters are particularly popular, but clearly everything made by Laura and her team is full of heart. The um, Donuts keeps the business afloat. However, the the bakery is where her love of her life is. We do everything from cakes and pies and everything else. But I think above all, I think she enjoys doing the creations of cakes more than anything else and liking to see the expressions on people's faces when they see the cake when it's complete. Thanks to Jim Samaras for speaking with us. Taylor Lansett is another woman whose work brings us joy. As the Director of Supply and Sustainability, she sources vegetables for Dig In, a fast-casual restaurant chain that focuses on serving local produce. Host Dana Cowan, who currently has a consulting gig with the restaurant group, welcomed Lanzett to her show Speaking Broadly on an episode she called Queer Eye for the Food Supply. At Dig In, you're responsible for literally well, millions of dollars and millions of pounds of food. Yeah. Uh, and... I really love the way you think about how you invest the power of those dollars to make the most, not only for the dig customer at the end of the day, which is extremely important and dig the business, but the farmers of dig and the choices that you make in finding uh, your farms and farmers. Can you talk about your farm search process and where you end? Yeah, so... I find farmers through a variety of methods. Um, Most recently, I've adopted finding farmers on Instagram, which (laughs) is like so millennial. I can't. I mean, Taylor, this is another reason Taylor, people who are listening, is somewhat social media averse. But you just gave us the best reason of why you have to be there. I know. I literally DM people and I'm like, oh my God, your pea shoots look amazing. Can you call (laughs) me at this number? Like, you know, Taylor. Um, but that I also love, you know, the network and farmers that we already work with. We work with about 60 people over the course of a year. I am on the phone with them all the time. Hey, how's it going? How are you guys doing? What's new? How's the family? You know, how's that new greenhouse that you built? And then I'll often say like, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for radishes. Like, do you know anyone? Right. And so many relationships are just oh, yeah, yeah, the person down the street does that. Or, oh, actually, I think this person might be interested in helping. Let let me give them a call. Um, So that. And then the other thing that I love doing, and this goes back to my love for farmer's markets, but I go to the market and I talk to people and I introduce myself. And meeting growers who we then work with at the farmer's market is a really... It's not only special, but it it just really sort of, for me, solidifies exactly what we're trying to do, which is we lead by building relationships. And that's how we win. And that's how we're really good at building a supply chain, because we care about all these people involved. That's just a brief excerpt from a great show. As Dana says, If you want to hear from someone who is destined and determined to have an impact on farms and policy and what's on your plate in the future, you absolutely have to listen to this entire show. You can hear more of Dana's interview with Taylor Lanzett on episode 52 of Speaking Broadly. Thinking about Dig In's simple and delicious menu brings us back to Queer Eye's Antony, specifically the controversy over whether his dishes are too simple. Here's Kat Johnson with the story. 
The first season of the reboot of Queer Eye brings a refreshing earnestness and warmth to the makeover format of the show. In fact, they call it a make better now and call their subjects of the make betters heroes. The new Fab Five consists of Tan France, fashion expert, Karamo Brown, culture expert, Bobby Burke, design expert, Jonathan Van Ness, grooming expert, and Anthony Porowski, food and wine expert. Of the five, Anthony attracted the most controversy by far. In the first two episodes, his part of the Make Better involved showing the heroes how to make guacamole and what he called toasted cheese sandwiches. Many viewers thought these recipes were unsophisticated. As Lila Latif wrote on Twitter, the division of labor on Queer Eye is very uneven. Bobby has to redo an entire house by himself, and Anthony teaches them how to make a sandwich. The question became, can Anthony actually cook? Junkie.com dug through Anthony's past interviews and Instagram feed and couldn't find any evidence of serious professional kitchen experience. But they concluded that it didn't really matter. Anthony's simple recipes were perfectly appropriate for the heroes on Queer Eye who had barely stepped foot in the kitchen before the show. In fact, simple recipes are perfectly appropriate for all of us. Plenty of food luminaries have written entire books on the premise. Just look at The Art of Simple Food by Alice Waters or Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything that includes 2,000 simple recipes for great food. Last week, Sherry Bear had another food luminary in the studio. Mitchell Davis was her guest on All in the Industry. Mitchell is the executive vice president of the James Beard Foundation, so we wondered what he'd have to say on the subject of simple food. Not only was he excited to talk about it, he also shared one of his favorite recipes with us. My favorite summer dish that's really easy and that I learned to make when I was working on a cookbook that actually never happened um, with a, a great cook, Tuscan cook, uh, is a salsa cruda for pasta. And salsa cruda is Italian for raw sauce. And what you do, it's sort of like making a caprese salad. You chop up some uh, really uh, ripe, fresh, delicious tomatoes into cubes. You chop up a bunch of fresh, delicious mozzarella. You um, pour in some olive oil and you pour in a bunch of, uh, you shred a bunch of basil and you let that sit while your pasta cooks. And when the pasta's done, you drain it and you put it hot into that room temperature sort of raw salad and the cheese melts a little and the tomatoes give off some of their liquid and you just eat it in a bowl at room temperature and it's amazing. And there, it sort of shows you a few things, how home cooking is really easy, how um, in 10 minutes you can have a great meal um, or you can do it in advance or whatever. Whatever, but also I think how the quality of one's ingredients is so important um, and can make something as simple as that be so satisfying. Doesn't that sound like an incredible meal? Well, guess what? A pasta dish almost exactly like that makes an appearance on season two of Queer Eye. That's all I'll say. No spoilers. We'll just have to binge watch season two to see whether or not Anthony decides to keep it simple or step up his home chef game. We'll be back with a story about a food writer exploring the ties between the vegan and queer communities. I'm Souther Teague of Moria Margo and co-host of The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso sherry butts. 
My favorite part about the Sexton is that sherry influence from those Oloroso sherry butts. They're the large sherry uh, barrels that have been used. And then the, uh, the whiskey gets aged in them for four years, giving them this sort of nutty, almost savory quality. Um, the copper pot still makes for an extremely smooth finish. Um, I like it in a highball or just neat. Uh, every time I have a sip, I, I want another one. So next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, reach for The Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. You can learn more at thesexton.com. Welcome back to Meet in Three. We go now to a story by Hannah Forden of a food writer who's exploring the fascinating correlation between the vegan and LGBTQ communities. As I was becoming a vegetarian and trying to hide that from my family, who are all like staunch meat and potatoes type of Midwesterners, an uncle of mine said to me very casually and kind of jokingly, well, I'm not gay. I don't eat tofu. That comment really stuck with me. My name is Leah Kurtz, and I'm a freelance food writer as well as a nutrition educator for a nonprofit in Harlem and developed research on the intersection between like the LGBTQ community and the vegan community. Her uncle's comment, I'm not gay, I don't eat tofu, drove Leah to explore the question, why does the language of misogyny and homophobia often overlap with the language of eating meat? Then there's also this outside queering of veganism that oftentimes will already feminize or already put veganism or vegetarianism in this pejorative space that's demasculinized or queered because so much of meat-eating culture is rooted in this like hyper-toxic masculinity, very rooted in patriarchy and in control of within like a hierarchical kind of power. For Leah, coming out as a vegetarian and eventually vegan was a choice she made before fully coming to terms with her queer identity. I jokingly say it's like through the trapdoor of veganism that I actually was allowed to kind of express myself in that way and embrace that part of my identity. And it made it easier, honestly, because I was already, I already knew what it meant to be alienated from my family, to be made fun of, for them to like cringe at this difference presented before them. Leah was compelled to further explore the intersection of queer identity and veganism. I did a research project where I interviewed first primarily 12 very in-depth interviews from um, people along the LGBTQ kind of like spectrum of identity, trying to get a really robust understanding of different experiences being vegan or vegetarian. As a white cisgendered woman, Leah is conscious of her own privilege and consciously chose to focus her work on vegans who were not like her. She wanted to tell stories about the overlapping of transphobia, homophobia, and racism in a culture where meat-eating is the norm. One of the things that stood out was this idea of empathy, specifically because of being gay, for animals, watching undercover factory farming videos, documenting animal cruelty, and a lot of the people I spoke with were like, that reminded me of being bullied as a kid for being gay. Even in families where being LGBTQ is accepted, Leah found that parents and friends treated the choice not to eat animals as a problem, equating veganism with joining a cult, having an eating disorder, or self-harm. It's an interesting way in which food can challenge value systems, invisible value systems, even greater than sexuality does. Conversations about diet and sexuality can be difficult, 
But Leah found that in the end, being open about herself brought her close to her family in ways she didn't expect. And I love my family from birth, and they've actually totally, you know, changed. One of my sisters is vegan, one of my brothers is vegan, my mother has been kind of like quasi-vegetarian. Like, even if they haven't made changes themselves, they're much more, I would say, like accommodating and even really go out of their way sometimes to make things vegan or, oh, hey, I didn't add butter in that, I set this aside, and really trying to include me in ways that they can. And so that's really been beautiful to see that shift of being really defensive, kind of mockery, and then acceptance. And that gives me hope. Even if what's on our plates might be different, food has a way of creating connections between people. Because that's the thing, it's not just food, right? It's commensality is about like sharing values and sharing time and space. And it's sometimes, yeah, very difficult, but if you kind of like push through it, it gets better. (laughs) We can all do what we can do. And, you know, three times a day, it is really easy to make choices. Speaking with Leah, it's clear that her work and how she interacts with the world is fueled by empathy. Vegan or omnivore, we can each make choices that, to paraphrase HRN's mission, make the world more equitable, sustainable, and delicious for us all. If you want to hear more from Leah Kurtz, she'll be participating in our upcoming crossover podcast event, Changing the Conversation. Two of our hosts, Korsha Wilson and Sari Kamen, are leading a discussion about how we create meaningful change for women, people of color, and the LGBTQ community in the food space. It's taking place on Thursday, June 21st at 6.30 p.m. on the beautiful rooftop at 100 Bogart Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Tickets are now free thanks to our co-host TD Bank. Go to our Facebook page to learn more. That's it for this week's show. We'd love to hear from you. Write us anytime at ideas at meetn3.nyc. That's all spelled out. Be sure to save some room on your plate for Meet and 3 every Friday afternoon. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks this week to Dana Cowan and Sherry Bayer. Meet and 3 is produced by Liza Hamm, Margaret Kelly, Hannah Forden, Kat Johnson, and me, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Our audio engineer is David Tatashore. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and 3 is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Tune in next week for a new episode of Meet and 3. We'll be talking about eating animals. 